Welcome to the Incluvi Movie Podcast, where we talk about all things media and diversity. I'm Matthew Stiuso. And I'm Dara Eliezer. For today's podcast, we're going to be dissecting the movie Malcolm and Marie, a recent Netflix original directed by Euphoria creator Sam Levinson and starring Zendaya and John David Washington as the titular characters. But before that, we're going to get into what's on our minds and what's trending in pop culture right now. Okay, so the Golden Globes are going to be this Sunday, and I know there was a lot of buzz when the nominations came out, and it's kind of died down a little bit, but I think it's still important to talk about some of the big positives and negatives. Let's start with the positives. This year, three female directors, being Emerald Fennell, Chloe Zhao, and Regina King, were all nominated for Best Director. This marks the first time in the Golden Globes history that more than one woman was nominated in the category, and ends a five-year streak of women being shut out entirely from that category. It's historic, but it's also 100% deserved. I think a lot of people have this weird argument that awards come from a place where you have to like meet certain quotas and you'll get flagged if you don't put a woman in this category or like if you don't put a black person in this category, then like that was like the main critique with Oscar so white. Movements like that, I feel, are just supposed to highlight that quality and talent already exists and it's just constantly overlooked. You can't literally tell me that like no woman has produced quality content in five years or more to not be nominated like you're lying the women nominated directed three of the best films you have promising young woman nomadland and one night in miami and i'm glad that they're finally getting respect put on their name of course the golden globes are not without their faults the critically acclaimed series i may destroy you by michaela cole was completely snubbed when it should have been and in my opinion should have won for michaela cole's writing and her performance Yeah, not Michaela Cole being a literal genius and being snubbed. She's literally one of the most creative (laughs) people working in the industry right now. Yeah, a few years back, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who, yes, is immensely talented, got to clean up at the Golden Globes for Fleabag and has since gotten to produce multiple shows and write for James Bond and be on the cover of Vogue. And it feels like this should have been Michaela Cole's year for that. Yeah, I can agree. I can definitely see a nomination like this being a real catapult for her to get wider recognition. I think that the choices being made at the Golden Globes tend to not really make sense. Like even in the sense of something of like Lovecraft Country being nominated for best television series in the drama category, but then for nothing else. So then it's like, well, what are the elements or who are the people that make it the best? And it's pretty telling that only POC stories seem to be getting snubbed, whereas a show like Emily in Paris, which is (laughs) a cute show, but not particularly award worthy. Mm -hmm. is getting nominations like left and right. And for me, even the way the categorize works is problematic. This year, the film Minari, which is a story about a Korean-American family in Arkansas, was placed into the foreign language film category. According to representatives from A24, the film wasn't eligible for best drama because 50% of the film's dialogue is in a non-English language. I feel like Hollywood tends to make a lot of stories feel othered. Like they can't be part of a larger film conversation because they look at it different than what they consider a regular film. Like the same situation happened last year with The Farewell through the technicality. It's it's strange because it's definitely something that not doesn't necessarily need to be in a foreign language category only. But because it is, it's not able to compete 
with everything else in the other category, like the main, the big drama category. Yeah, I don't really understand how the two are mutually exclusive. And I think the word you used, othering, is very accurate. At the end of the day, best drama is the big category of the night. It's like the climactic moment of the Golden Globes. And Minari will not be able to have the opportunity to be a part of that. And that's othering it. Yeah, and like, foreign language is not a genre this is like like, this is like my biggest problem with the golden globes the categories are kind of designed to to favor other films and there was that thing back in 2018 where get out was in the musical and comedy category and jordan pill was basically like you know like you can't really like categorize get out but at the same time the award shows hide behind that yeah it seems like it takes a public outcry for these kind of changes to be made um and that actually does segue into our other big story which is almost the entire cast of buffy the vampire slayer speaking out against the abuse and toxicity at the hands of show creator joss whedon with charisma carpenter who starred in both buffy and the spinoff angel revealing that she was a part of the investigation into joss's abuse on the set of the film justice league Ray Fisher was one of the first to speak out against Joss, and they ended up axing him. It's frustrating because it seems like because Ray Fisher wasn't the most high-profile person in the cast, like it was easy for Warner Brothers to just favor Joss. And now it takes all these other testimonies, and they should have just taken Ray Fisher's words seriously in the first place, you know? I mean, Buffy is like a pillar of early feminist television, and... Honestly, it's my favorite show, but seeing the way that Josh treats women and people of color in real life, he's certainly not the feminist ally that I think a lot of people were under the impression that he was. And of course, it's disheartening just to think that there's all these things that we love and it has so much mistreatment and abuse behind it. Knowing some of our favorite celebrities and people we look look up to have to just suffer in silence for so many years is just so heartbreaking. I mean, I don't want to have to focus and be so negative, but it's really hard not to be when you hear stories like this happening over and over again. So I do kind of want to have some positive takeaways. And for me, it's that A, Joss Whedon will probably never work again at this point, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. And no, B, I don't necessarily think that this has to diminish the impact of a show like Buffy because it's more than just one person. And mm-hmm. it was still a really empowering show. And it gave us this amazing protagonist Buffy Summers and it was one of the first shows to have a lesbian couple kiss on screen and I don't think that Joss Whedon's behavior can erase that impact my takeaway is that I hope we believe victims as an industry and as a society mm-hmm. because it it does take risks to open up about these things like Ray knew that he was taking a risk but he was still down to speak up I think we just need to do more to create a better environment so that people feel safe. And we also need to give real repercussions to the people that make the environment unsafe. I just hope that this doesn't affect Ray Fisher's career because a lot of the times it does end up doing that. But he's very talented Mm -hmm. and he deserves, you know, every opportunity that still comes his way. Is that everything for pop culture today? Not even. I could go on, but I want to make sure we have time for Malcolm and Marie. Well, let's get to it then. So a brief synopsis of Malcolm and Marie. Released on January 9th, 2021, 
Malcolm and Marie star Zendaya and John David Washington as the titular characters, a tumultuous couple who returns home after the premiere of Malcolm's new film. Throughout the night, the couple argue and philosophize on their relationship, identity, and the film industry. Yeah, so why don't we just get into our general thoughts on the film? It's a pretty film. Pretty film, yes. It's shot in 35mm and black and white, which is nice. (laughs) I do find it a tinge pretentious, and to be honest, I don't think that shooting a Netflix original on film really does anything. (laughs) But if that's their artistic truth, that's their artistic truth. I'm actually here for it. I feel like it also makes sense on what they like cited as similar vibes for what they were going for like who's afraid of virginia wolf so i can see where they were going stylistically and i i I like that aspect in terms of performances i would say the acting was definitely solid zendaya is proving to me not that she needs to prove anything to me but zendaya is definitely (laughs) proving that she has the chops to be a huge star uh, after picking up her emmy for euphoria which she totally kills in So I was very happy to see her in a film, but maybe not this film. Okay, fair. I will say I did like the notion of it being a collaborative effort, a way that Levinson tends to describe his other work. In many interviews, Zendaya really emphasized how everybody had input in the creative vision and equitable profit from the film. I feel like it was a real passion project for them. Yeah, that's definitely cool. And... I obviously was really impressed that they were able to film this all during COVID. They had a single location. They had a very small crew. So definitely kudos to them for pulling that off. But, and if you can't tell by the tone of my voice, I did feel like this movie kind of fell flat for me. I can agree. Because overall, I thought that a lot of the intentions they had with the film didn't end up being done well. I think the biggest things for me was the fact that I didn't see any of the actual love story that they had. Or at least it being fleshed out enough. And the weakness, I think, was also in the fact that they were supposed to have this, you know, toxic relationship. But it seemed like one character took it way too far than the other one. So it wasn't it wasn't this balance of this toxic relationship. Yeah. It was like one was overpowering. Um, but I do like the conversations that are happening around it, though. And I know that's not like the best way to look at a film but i think the larger talking points that are being discussed kind of make it an experience i don't think it was a terrible film though just you know it has i have some critiques do you because this movie does have a very strong opinion on the concept of criticism and i think it's important that we delve into that considering that we are literally film critics talking about a movie that talks about film critics Well, what are your qualms about the way criticism is presented in the film? I felt like Malcolm was trying to make this grand point that film critics are sort of empty and soulless and don't really have a talent of their own and that they pick apart other people's works. And that's a very strong opinion. And obviously, as a film critic, I'm initially very defensive. And especially coming from Incluvi, where I feel like we're critiquing a movie with this lens of diversity and inclusivity and how it's shown in film, that's very purposeful and important. And I think that there is an art to criticism. Mm -hmm. This is pretty much what I mean about the intention of the film not being taken seriously because of the execution. Because in interviews between like Zendaya and Levinson, um, they explained that Marie to them was the emotional core of the film 
which gets proved because Marie agrees with the critic ultimately and gets the final say at the end with her monologue. And Levinson said that, you know, people dismissing that are just, you know, marrying Malcolm's dismissal of Marie. But I, I think that the film dismisses Marie or it comes off that way because it's like an unbalanced story. You have Malcolm, who's this completely narcissistic person lost in his ego, somebody who's been with Marie since she was young and she was on her way to recovery. And they they can't have a regular argument without him going below the belt. Anything she says gets lost. And that, I think, ends up mirroring what the how the audience sees the film I don't think it's the fault of how the audience receives the film, but I think it's a fault of the design. Yeah, I I definitely echo the sentiment of the film's intentions not being taken seriously or, or like really hitting with the audience. Because for me, I hate, and I know that is a strong word, but I hate when films talk about the film industry. Mm-hmm. I can't stand watching famous <laughs> actors play characters who are struggling to make it. And the thing that really bothers me in this film was hearing them talk about how shallow Hollywood can be because it feels meaningless when that point is being written by and directed by and spoken by people who have benefited from that system Mm -hmm. because Sam Levinson's father is Barry Levinson, who is an Academy award winning director. He directed rain man. And then you have John David Washington, who is Denzel Washington's son. And they're part of the system that they're criticizing. Mm -hmm. So even though that commentary is accurate, yeah, like Hollywood is capitalistic at its core. Isn't the goal of this movie to, to be successful or to make money or to win awards? I don't know. To me, it just kind of reminds me of like that rich kid who always complains about their parents, even though their parents are like sending them money and paying their rent. (laughs) I can see that, but I think the movie kind of tries to make a neutral take take what you will type stands on the conversation because it is made from all those things and it doesn't necessarily dispute that it just kind of becomes a thing where hollywood calls out hollywood but you know like you said at the end of the day it'll still be hollywood i just think that the ideas that they wanted to convey weren't properly conveyed with the dialogue it just didn't hit for me (laughs) the dialogue about the industry was supposed to be really a way to get the points across about the relationship like him being privileged in a lot of ways not being an attentive partner or him just disproving his own theories about blackness like wanting to like have less political analyses of his work but also writing a biopic of Angela Davis I just think that the ideas weren't fleshed out and I can definitely see how the low points of the film ended up seeming more so like a mouthpiece for Sam Levinson instead of being viewed as a film that has flawed hypocritical characters you know because Mm -hmm. in a way it definitely becomes something if this were his actual feelings then how would that play out it then comes off as someone who is trying to make this universal story that isn't political, but it would inherently be because it's through the lens of a black man, a black character about his relationship with his race and being in the industry. So contextually, this wouldn't make sense. And it would be very hypocritical to say that you want your work to be viewed outside of a political lens, but actively showcase views 
from a lens of people that, you know, there aren't like you. Yeah. There was the part about Malcolm wanting to be a part of the larger conversation with the William Wylers of the world instead of, you know, Spike Lee, Barry Jenkins and John Singleton. But what makes that like what makes those directors not a part of the larger film conversation? You know, this would be a very weird conversation to have from the view of a white man into the lens of a black character. Yeah, it just can't really be a universal story because it becomes a very specific story. And then it also becomes, well, are you the right person to tell this specific story? If you're a white man and you're saying, I'm going to make a movie about my experience as a director and I'm going to be played by John David Washington, we have to be honest and say that there are going to be differences in your experience than there would be for John David Washington, (laughs) who is playing a black director. The world isn't colorblind and it's either very naive or a little bit ignorant to think that there's not a difference in your experiences. And I also think that's true for the way that the relationship is portrayed also. Well, by the end, when Marie has her final monologue and basically gets the final say in her props, I feel like the audience was already exhausted with all the arguing that had taken place. (laughs) I know Malcolm is a character and Marie is, you know, the emotional core, but I definitely see how people are reading it wrong than what they intended it to be, especially when there's this pressure to make sure our black stories are always the best representation of us and in our artistry. And you have something that debates blackness in a very specific way. But I by no means want to undermine the black artists that did work on this project and their vision and their character story and their input. Like, I don't want to undermine Zendaya or John David Washington's, you know, input to this story. But their their passion project did seem like a Barry Jenkins hate account. (laughs) That's what a lot of people (laughs) said. I just personally feel like we spent way too much time on obsessing about the white critics' love for Malcolm's film or lack of love or subversion. And I wanted to see more of like the dimension with their relationship and their love story and how they actually got to this point. See, that's the thing that made me a little uncomfortable was sort of using Malcolm as a means of critiquing this white lady from the LA Times because it bears a lot of similarities to this real life review that was written for the LA times about Sam's movie assassination nation. And Sam Levinson has gone on to say, no, there's no correlation, but I think it's kind of weird that he picked the LA times specifically. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. And what makes me uncomfortable is that I think Malcolm can make valid points about the microaggressive nature of a white woman reviewing this black film. But Sam is a white man who's taking issue with the way a woman wrote about the way that he portrayed women in the film. Assassination Nation. So in this moment, when Malcolm is calling this critic a Karen, I think it's valid for Malcolm to say that. But I don't necessarily think it's valid for Sam Levinson to call a critic a Karen for taking issue with the way that he portrayed women. And it almost seems like to me, and he did deny this, so we can't confirm it. But it seems like to me that he kind of used this movie as an excuse to get back at a critic. And I know he's trying to say that the story isn't necessarily about him because he had input from Zendaya and he had input from John David Washington. But at the end of the day, if this were to win, you know, the Academy Award for Best Picture, who's going to accept the award? 
Sam Levinson, probably. So it is his film. And you can't really rely on saying that you have the input from them as a way of deflecting criticisms, especially about the racial dynamics of the film. I just don't know. I mean, you don't necessarily have to agree with what characters are saying for a movie to be good. Mm -hmm. You can still make a film with characters who are flawed, who are saying things you don't necessarily agree with, as long as you separate what those characters are trying to say from what the script is trying to say. That's the thing. You can actually make a lot of the points that are trying to be made, but you can have a balanced argument, but it didn't seem balanced in the film. But because of Mm -hmm. the weak script, you couldn't properly explore all of the topics in depth. And if it hits, you know, nobody's going to say anything, but if it doesn't hit, then we're all like, we got to dissect this. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And I want to bring up one night Miami as a film that succeeds in my opinion, in what this movie fails in. They're both similar movies because they're both less about a dramatic story arc and more about having people in one location who are having a conversation with clashing ideals. But I felt like the point in One Night in Miami was to talk about how different people within the black community can have so many different ideals, but ultimately have the same goal. Mm -hmm. And you have Regina King, who is a woman of color, a black woman specifically, so she can kind of make a point there. But she's also not saying, well, there's four people in this room and I implicitly agree with one of them. 100%. This is the one who represents me and this is the one that represents my opinion on it. So I think each of them, each of the characters in One Night Miami is able to make valid points. And a big reason for that is because the dialogue is more realistic and less concerned with being artsy. I think it comes off as one noted monologues about industry grievances because the characters could definitely have been more dimensional. Like I said, I couldn't really see that these two people generally care for each other. We didn't get to see enough of that part of their love. There's that scene where she's in the tub and Malcolm's like, well, I love you because I love the way your mind works and I love the way you see the world. But it's like, can you can you like show me that? (laughs) Like show me a scene where he is really enamored with her because of something she does. Is there a time where you genuinely given her a compliment, not based on her looks, not based on like, oh, baby, you're a great actor or a time where she wasn't feeding his ego? He says, I don't need you, Marie, which we see like literally isn't true because he does need her to kind of feed his ego. But he also says he wants her, but we literally just didn't see that. And there's so much hurt there. So there, that must come from a foundation of love. There's this toxicity to the point that it can definitely exist, but there needs to be like a grounding moment there. So I'm like, okay, this is believable that these two people were in love and then it, it went sour. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was kind of hoping they would break up by the end of the movie. Like, I thought that's where things were leading to, because it didn't seem like to me that this was a couple that could be sustainable after the things that they have said to each other and the things that they've done to one another. And to me, it seemed more so that Malcolm was the antagonist strictly and Marie was the protagonist. Mm -hmm. But I felt like the movie was trying to say that this was a balanced relationship, but that's not what I was picking up. 
Mm-hmm. I definitely wanted to see that push and that pull. I think that would make some of the floating arguments about race in the industry seem more dynamic and better to understand. And that kind of just reminds me of the tweet that I saw that everybody was kind of mocking where it was just like, you know, I like this film because it's a film film. It has the cinematography, the screenwriting, all that jazz. And I just like analyzing it. But I just have a film degree type situation. And I'm just like, people are allowed to not like the film. Like, it's okay to like it. It's okay to not like it. But film isn't this exclusive medium. You're definitely allowed to have your opinions and your critiques on it. It just, that didn't, that rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. And it's like, especially ironic because there's the line in the film where Malcolm says, well, I'm not making a movie for the three people in my film class that I actually respect. Which I actually appreciate. I thought that was a clever line. But this movie is that. It's like that very sort of artistic film school movie, even down to being shot on 35 millimeter for no apparent reason, honestly. I just feel like if you're going to make something that's truly defying the boundaries of what typical film is, why not make something that's completely bizarre or irreverent. And it's frustrating to me too, because I know that Sam Levinson is capable of doing that because he made Euphoria. Oh, absolutely. Euphoria is my favorite show right now. This this is a Euphoria stand account right here. <laughs> and so I, I truly feel like I know that they're capable of better as a team. The strength of the show is the aesthetics and the representation. And it it does show that you don't have to represent every single identity of the character that you create to make good content. Um, it just has to really come from a place of authenticity, I think. The way he adds his own experiences and like the the character of Rue or just collaborating with the actors in the character construction, that to me is what creates the really good stuff. Yeah, but knowing more about Sam Levinson now, and this reoccurring issue that he's had with the male gaze, it actually kind of makes me retroactively question Euphoria. Mm-hmm. Because on its own, the way that it depicts sexuality is very multi-layered and interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of this pattern that Sam Levinson has had in his works where he seems to constantly be, be depicting young girls in a very sexual way. And that was... The issue that the LA Times article had with Assassination Nation, and it's an issue that is spoken about in the film Malcolm Marie, because Marie asked Malcolm why he chose to have his lead character be topless in one of the most dramatic scenes in the movie. And Malcolm sort of fights back saying, well, you know, Marie, you're in your underwear right now. So are you saying that it's unrealistic that a woman would be topless in this intimate moment? Does everything have to be the male gaze? If I'm perceiving you the way you are, is that me perceiving you with the male gaze? But in reality, it was a choice by the director to have Marie be in her underwear to corroborate the point that Malcolm was making. Marie is not any more of a real person than the character within Malcolm's film. So putting her in this, you know, kind of revealing outfit doesn't really prove anything. It just sort of perpetuates the point that men seem to be depicting women in a certain way constantly. I would have actually been really interested to see a very neutral, sort of ungendered look. And I think an example of a show that does that is 
Westworld when it depicts the hosts that are not active. It just shows their nude bodies in a way that's not very sexual. It's very anatomical. Mm-hmm. And I would hope to see that more from other things rather than perpetuating this very sexual male male gaze. There's no other word for it. It's it's the male gaze. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very valid point to be brought up, especially since it has been a recurring critique of his work for a while now. And I read the review and the critic was basically saying like, you know, you have these thoughts, you have these ideas, you know, the material, you know what the male gaze is and you try to subvert it or call it out in so many ways but it doesn't come off as anything that's satirical or something that's making a commentary. It's like you you are aware, but still you end up doing it. And you can't separate the two because of your viewpoint, in a sense. And I think when it comes to knowing what you're trying to say or trying to create, you really do have to make sure that it's very well executed and tightly done. Because if it's slightly off, then it's like this doesn't work and this is kind of you perpetuating it in a sense so it's like if it hits it hits but if it doesn't then we could be like oh well these are the reasons why it doesn't work and it's okay to have that critique and call that out yeah and i don't necessarily think that every critique has to be taken as a personal attack i mean i know that when i write something that there will be points made or lines that won't resonate with people and I get the initial feeling of being defensive, but it's not beneficial in the long run. It's more beneficial to actually really listen and understand what people are trying to say, and that can better your work moving forward. Mm -hmm. Right. And nobody, well, I mean, some people might, but (laughs) most, (laughs) I think, don't go and be like, oh, well, I'm going to write this manic pixie dream girl. You know, it's like people who are creating and writing have these internal biases that play into misogyny in any way, shape or form. And all of that plays into our culture, our society and how we how people think and view things. So you have all these people writing these characters all at the same time. And it becomes it becomes a thing. It becomes a trope or like a reoccurring thing in the media and it's important for us to take a look at that and analyze these choices so it can be spotted and corrected because these characters should have dimension to them we want to encourage creativity and the telling of diverse stories of the people and the things that they care about instead of perpetuating damaging imagery so much of what we see ends up giving us warped views especially if it's like the only thing that we're being exposed to so like, yeah. imagine not being exposed to black people, <laughs> um, but all you know about them is the stereotypes you constantly see on TV, them being like aggressive, loud or dangerous. That will have a real effect on how you view black people in real life. And that upholds racism. Or just imagine you constantly seeing images of women being over sexualized and subjected to violence. That is definitely going to affect how people view and treat women in real life as well. It all aids in this toxic, dangerous culture. But that doesn't mean we can't ever be real gritty and push boundaries and take risks and value aesthetics. All of that just has to come from a very authentic place and all of it can coexist all at the same time. And that really takes us back to exactly why I find criticism or more aptly critique so important. Because without someone who's able to point out these recurrences, 
how else is a director or a filmmaker actually going to learn how to avoid making those mistakes in the future? If someone just doesn't know what a manic pixie dream girl is and they keep featuring them in movies, how are they eventually going to break that cycle without an outside opinion actually pointing it out? Mm-hmm. I think that Sam Levinson really can strongly benefit from learning from the mistakes in this movie because it's not a terrible movie. And I think there's a no. lot of great potential. I mean, I'm not throwing it in award contention, which it seems to be a part of, but I think that there is definitely something there. No, I, I wouldn't say it's terrible at all. Like, I still think it's worth a watch for you to form your own opinions on it. And I think definitely the efforts do need to be recognized on how they really, this was a real passion project for them. But, you know, like we said, nothing is above critique and there's always ways you can do better and recognize that. Now we've gotten to the segment of our podcast where we're going to score the movie. We're each going to give our own scores based on a five-star system. One score will judge the cinematic quality of the movie, while the other, in Kluvi's score, will judge the quality of the representation in the film. Ultimately, I would give Malcolm and Marie a movie score of two stars. It has great visuals, a great soundtrack, and great acting, but the old Hollywood nostalgia was not enough to save the pretentious script, which I felt like was constantly reaching to be philosophical. For the Inclubi score, it's a little more complicated. On paper, you have a film with only two characters, both of whom are played by high-profile black actors. But the way that Levinson wrote and directed the film, it seemed like this was more about Sam Levinson projecting his experiences onto these characters in a way that seemed inauthentic and honestly uncomfortable. In his writing of Marie, Levinson attempts to subvert the male gaze, yet for me misses the mark and falls into the same old habits that he's been critiqued in the past for already. Because of that, I would rate this film three and a half stars for awkward but well-intentioned inclusion. For the movie score, I feel like it's something pretty neutral. The good and the bad elements equal out to about a 2.5 out of 5. I don't think it was terrible, but I don't, I don't think it was amazing or anything. I just feel like a lot more work on some of the concepts presented in the film could have really made it something special. In terms of diversity, I think it is very hard to determine what's good representation. Black people or black characters aren't a monolith, and I really do think that every story is different. But I think because of the film's faults, I too would give it an Incluvi score of 3.5. Like, it's something, and I'm always going to love to see black characters on screen but i just think it could have been a better story yeah i mean i was reading that they were trying to make this movie for the sake of making a movie during quarantine and one of the options was actually to make like a psychological thriller and frankly i kind of wish they just did that instead instead of trying to have these conversations i think it could have been cool yeah i would have loved to see that somebody should definitely do one of those suspenseful trailer edits for it (laughs) The Inclubi podcast is hosted by Dara Eleazar and me, Matthew Stiuso Our show is produced and edited by Hazel Bolivar Our executive producer is Kathy Yee Our theme music is made by Wadaboy You can visit Inclubi.com to rate movies on their diversity and read reviews focused on representation in media You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Incluvi. That's I-N-C-L-U-V-I-E. Thank you so much for listening. 
Be sure to join us in two weeks when we will be discussing race and coming of age films. See you all then. Bye.